welcome to the Scam Economy with your host, Matt Bender. Yes, welcome to the Scam Economy. I am your host, Matt Binder, and more specifically, welcome to the first episode of The Scam Economy. And for this episode, I thought, what better way to kick off this show than with an introduction to the grift, the fraud, the scam known as crypto. Call it the ABCs of cryptocurrency. And joining me now is David Gerard. He is a crypto journalist and author of Attack of the 50-Foot Blockchain and Libra Shrugged. And honestly, uh, he is one of the first people I go to whenever anything happens in the crypto world so I can get some thoughts from prominent you know, cryptocurrency critics. Uh, David, thank you so much for joining me today. Good evening. Now, now, David, I thought, you know, as as we kick off this, uh, uh, as I kick off this this show, um, there's going to be a lot of people who are jumping in for the first time who may not be so up to date with, first of all, what cryptocurrency even is, let alone all the other terminology. So I thought you'd be the perfect person to have on to explain to lay people and also to people who probably think they know uh, what they actually don't, uh, you know. What's what's going on in the crypto world when we name when we uh, talk about uh, different terms, uh, different uh, crypto centric industries, etc. So first things first, uh, uh, let's let's drop. I guess what what is cryptocurrency? Right. So the first thing to remember before we get to that is, if you hear about this stuff and it sounds weird and incomprehensible and maybe a bit scammy, and the guy telling you about it says, oh, look, it's just very complicated technology. You'll read up on it. You'll be fine. That's the flim-flam. If you think of it as being all about people and the flows of cash and a bit of techno hand-waving is the excuse, then you'll understand what's going on here. Fundamentally, before we get into the details of what it is, Bitcoin is a get-rich-quick scheme. The promise is you can get rich for free. Magical internet money. The rules are different now. Everything's different. We've got a hack. We've got a one weird trick that will definitely make me rich and I'm being so nice as to help you get rich too. So these are quite common phrases ever since money existed. Um, the key point to keep in mind at all times is there is no one weird trick. Get-rich-quick schemes are a hugely popular product, right? You don't even need to deliver. All you need to do is say, I've got a get-rich-quick scheme, and people will flock to you, throwing money at you. They will get their friends to throw money at you. Then when it comes time to pay off, you've been hacked. I'm so sorry. It's so sad. Because, you know, the technology is so complicated. Um, so that's the actual thing you need to understand about what's going on here. And you'll hear about the technology, and it sounds really cool. Then you think about it a bit more, and you get what I call the Bitcoin reaction, which was when you go, that sounds too stupid. You must be explaining it wrong. Um, but yeah, so now we can get into the details of the technical flim-flam. But remember, the whole thing is a promise that you can get rich 
for free. That there's a hack that you can win at society with, and they're being so generous as to share it with you. And they can show you a few winners even. But the actual thing that's... Um, the, the technology they use to do this. So the idea of cryptocurrency, like let's start with the idea of digital cash, okay? Now we know what money is. If I had some cash to hand, I'd wave it at you. Um, five pound note. But um, we know how money works, right? I can, if I owe you five, five pounds, I can hand you a five pound note. Um, what if we could do that digitally on the internet? That could be easy. Um, so we sort of have that. Right. Like I feel like we've people... had that for, for, for many, many years. We buy products online. We, we're not, you know, we're not sticking, uh, you know, uh, uh, actual physical dollars into our, you know, our MacBook SD card drives or like back when we had PC towers. We're not sticking them into the CD-ROM drives. The, the money just exists via uh, being digital numbers on our screen. Yep. And people Venmo each other money or PayPal it all the time. In the UK, um, we've got like touch to pay cards. Uh, by 2017, they were more popular than physical cash. You know, number and volume of transactions was bigger than cash. And with the pandemic, they, it's really taken off, you know. Um, so w digital cash is not an unreasonable idea. But the way we do it is we have a central authority, like your money goes via PayPal or your money goes via your bank or something like that. It's not like me handing you five pounds. I have to like put in some numbers or an email address or something like that. It's not as convenient. So the idea is what if we could do this all digitally without a central authority? That sounds like a cool thing and is a pretty cool thing to have. And it's not an unreasonable thing to want. Like you'll find with Bitcoin, a lot of the questions they ask are very reasonable things to ask for. So the trouble is implementing that turns out to be a bit hard. How do you do money without an essential authority? It turns out to be really difficult. So it doesn't help that Bitcoin was started by a particular group of extremist libertarians um, who subscribe to a techno version of Austrian economics, which is basically being a gold bug. And right. Austrian economics is the formal academic sounding version of that. Um, where they want to go back to a gold standard and where they want no government regulation. Governments cannot be trusted with money. And um, so they wanted digital money that would work like that. No central authority even possible. They had the absolute fear of the worst possible thing happening to them, which is getting taxed. So, right. Well, first of all, I should, say, I should say I'm so glad you brought up the whole – uh, get rich quick scheme up front because uh, the name of this show obviously is Scam Economy, and that's really what this all uh, is. And we will explore as we get further into the different uh, areas of of cryptocurrency. But also, I'm glad you brought up the libertarian side of this all, how it all began, because uh, this show came about. I have a, a show uh, called Doomed, and I, I came after I was working for the Majority Report with Sam Cedar. And both on that show and on my show, we focus on uh, right-wing media, what's going on via different right-wing personalities, their politics, the different groups. And crypto came up so much in my conversations with people and through taking calls from listeners who wanted to know more uh, that 
having this as a second show just made sense because there is such an inherent tie between far right-wing ideology and libertarianism, at least as it exists in the United States. I don't know about the rest of the world because I do know there is libertarian means lots of things in different places. But in the U.S., libertarianism is a far right-wing, a right-wing ideology, depending on how far you are, that's that's uh, goes to each person. But, but the inherent yeah. tie between right-wing ideology and crypto is is just undeniable. It's literally just a matter of history. Um, now, I've got to stress, these guys were not, did not form Bitcoin as a scam, okay? They are very sincere in their libertarianism. Like, they go a bit far, but, you know, who likes being told by the government what to do? Nobody does. Um, so they just want a very extreme version. So um, they came up with this idea of a completely decentralized this is a buzzword you'll hear a lot, form of currency. Um, they implemented it with a very bad technical kludge, which is Bitcoin mining, which we, I could go on for ages about that. It's a very dumb and bad technical kludge, but it let them do the one job, at least for a while. So, and it was all started by an anonymous guy, Satoshi Nakamoto. Nobody knows who he is. Um, there's a pile of people they say he might have been, but nobody knows for sure. Anyone who claims say, to know that for sure is If I was Satoshi, I would think a, a great way to hide myself is by uh, becoming a very prominent critic of cryptocurrency. <laughs> you don't happen to be Satoshi, do you, David? <laughs> no, I do not. <laughs> Otherwise, I would be... Well, actually, I'd probably be doing this. But anyway. <laughs> so, yeah. Um they started working on this stuff and pushing it forward. And Satoshi wasn't a, ram a raging libertarian himself pushing ideology, but the structure of Bitcoin basically implies certain gold bug economics. Right. It's, if if I recall, version. some of that gold bug like thought process is even written in Satoshi's white paper for Bitcoin. Yeah, and in the Bitcoin 0.1 release notes, there's a whole bit in the middle. It's like reheated central bank conspiracy theories, you know, stuff that dates back to international banker conspiracies of the 19th century. That's where a lot of this stuff actually goes back to. Um, Bitcoiners don't know this because Bitcoiners don't know their own history, let alone any other history. The things that Bitcoiners don't know are endless, as you'll discover if you talk to one. Right. Like, Ten years ago, you could expect a Bitcoiner might know cryptography, for example. You can't expect that in 2022. Um, it, they'll tell you, you just don't understand the technology. They don't understand any technology. Right. It, it's, it's actually the perfect example of what you mentioned earlier, how the, the original Bitcoiners, those hardcore libertarians, how it's turned from something they actually wanted to fit their own ideology into what it really now fully is for at least the vast majority of the public that knows about it, uh, just a get-rich-quick scheme. There's no ideology behind it. It's just, I want to make money. I want to make it fast. I hear Bitcoin's the way to do it. Dumb nerd money for nerds to scam other nerds. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of sincere libertarians, and the ideas are firmly in the subculture, right? They talk a bunch of absolutely made-up nonsense economics, and they're because they read it somewhere in a Bitcoin publication and they think it's real. So you hear this stuff all the time. There's still a lot of sincere libertarians in Bitcoin. 
Um, but overwhelmingly, it's about get rich, getting rich for free, getting rich without working, getting rich because you've got a magic trick that exempts you from society. Um, and that's a really powerful promise, you know. Right. It's very appealing. Right. And and I would say most people when they when they do hear about cryptocurrency, they do automatically think Bitcoin, which is perfect to to start this conversation because that's probably what's in most people's minds. But but they're not the same thing. Like obviously Bitcoin is a cryptocurrency, but there is more to crypto than just Bitcoin. There's all sorts of cryptocurrencies. Yeah, there are, but I really think that it is all one pool of stuff that acts according to the same way, and it's all pushed by the same people in the same venues using the same buzzwords. Like, even when you see, like, when Bitcoin crashed the first time badly in 2014, uh, after the Mt. Gox exchange collapsed bankrupt, a pile of people thought, what could we market? The blockchain, the technological structure behind the Bitcoin. What if we sell it to enterprise? Great. So fine. They were really pushing Bitcoin, but they wanted to sell it as something else. Um, and they used all the same buzz phrases for Bitcoin. Just they changed the name to blockchain. Literally the same buzz phrases. It's trustless, censorship proof. Like this is a corporate thing you're selling to businessmen. Right. How does that make sense? It doesn't make sense. Let, let's break this down for people, actually. what What is a blockchain? Because I think a lot of people, you know, they think cryptocurrency, <laughs> they think Bitcoin, but then they hear blockchain and they don't even know what to sort of visualize or compare it to. So I can explain that really simply. Sure. Okay. Think of it an accounting ledger, right? You've got a book. It's got lines in it. You write from person A to person B, $10. From B to C, $20. Um, and so on. You have this ledger. It's got person transactions, amounts, and dates. You can only add new entries to this ledger. You can't cross out old ones. If you want to correct it, you have to reverse the transaction and add a new entry. So the blockchain, it's a data structure called the Merkle tree. I'm saying the buzzwords because people might have heard the buzzwords, right. and this is what they actually are. A Merkle tree is a data structure you can only add new entries to, and if you change stuff, it's immediately apparent, right? You can tell what's been changed. Right. Or you can tell that something's been changed. Um, and if you want to change old data, you have to recalculate everything. You don't want to do that. So it's very tamper evident, right? You can tell if someone's messed with it. So it's that ledger plus a mechanism to decide who adds new things to the blockchain. That's to uh, new things to the ledger. That's pretty much what a blockchain is. Now, I must caution at this point because some of the stuff they sell is uh, – blockchains is of all sorts of types, right? right? There's right. stuff that has bits of the ledger and doesn't have other bits or doesn't have a mechanism or is actually literally just a data store. Um, they sell all sorts of things using the marketing buzzword blockchain. So there is literally no agreed technical definition, but the sort of blockchain that cryptocurrencies use is like this. It's a ledger plus a mechanism to decide who adds new entries to the ledger. Right. So that's all a blockchain is. It's just a ledger you can add things to. Now, that's obviously a pretty useful idea. So that's why the actual ledger bit has been around since 1979. And people use it when it's appropriate and not when it isn't, you know, 
Right. It uh, seems none like... of the technology in Bitcoin is new, by the way. The last thing that was added to Bitcoin was invented in 2001. And it took them several years before someone worked out they could do this weird hack, you know. Um, so if you hear the phrase blockchain technology, they're selling you a pup because that means they can't even call it a blockchain. They have to call it, oh, it's blockchain technology. Right. Yes. I mean, it does seem like when you explain what a blockchain is, it just seems like you're describing uh, a database without a lot of features, like the ability yeah. to edit something. It's a log. Right. You can only add entries to the log. That's all it is. And that's really simple and probably useful for things. So you tell people that and they go, where's the magical bit? Where are all the promises? The promises are just people who got high on the Bitcoin idea of freedom from any form of social obligation with their money and sort of extrapolated from there. Or someone came up with a vague idea in a press release and then someone said, oh, they will be implementing this. And then that got changed in the press version to they have implemented this, you know, right. from idea to hypothetical to it's happening now. There's a lot of confusion between is and could, where could actually means isn't, you know. Right. Now, let's let's talk about um, I, I want to talk about one other specific uh well, two other specific uh, cryptocurrencies. And like you said, they, they all do seem inherently connected to Bitcoin. You know, uh, yep. when uh, Bitcoin goes up, they all seem to go up. When Bitcoin goes down, they all seem to go I'm talking about value. They all seem to go down. Um, you know, uh, it's tied. They're all tied to Bitcoin in such a way. But there are a few standouts. For example, and to talk about this next thing, we can't, which is NFTs, which we'll get into in a second. We can't talk about uh, NFTs without talking about Ethereum first. So what is Ethereum? So the idea of Ethereum is you could have things called smart contracts, which are not smart and they're not contracts. A smart contract is literally just a little program that lives in the... Uh, blockchain and triggers when you do things. If you have viewers who are in enterprise IT, they'd know these as database triggers or stored procedures. In real IT, you never use these things unless you have to because they're a pain in the ass. They're really hard to manage, hard to think about, and they give weird spooky effects. You only use them when you have to. So, of course, they built their whole financial system on them. Um, <laughs> a good way of thinking of it if Bitcoin is like a spreadsheet, an Excel spreadsheet, Ethereum is like an Excel spreadsheet with macros. And you can write some absolute crawling horrors in Visual Basic if you really, really want to, and the Ethereum guys do. They actually use a language called Solidity, which is a descendant of JavaScript, and it's really hard to program properly, in, and it's really easy to shoot yourself in the foot. And if you make one mistake, you lose all your money. So they make lots of mistakes and lots of people lose their money. And this is um, eternal source of comedy gold. Right. It's important to remember with Bitcoin. When I heard about it, it was in 2011, I thought, oh, internet libertarians are doing their own money. Right. Because I'd encountered internet libertarians before and I knew what they were like. And I figured anything they came up with would definitely be a source of comedy gold for the ages. And I was correct. <laughs> right. Uh, I'm still I still think back to those uh, Ron Paul presidential runs and they bring me great joy. Yes, those guys. Yes, but not for the same reason 
those people are probably joyful. It brings me great joy for the same reason it probably brings you great joy. Uh, but anyway, uh, so let's so also to be to be clear, um, Ethereum is the network, and I think you you explain that. But for people who who so that so I don't get people confused. Ether is the crypto that's based on the Ethereum network. So when you see people passing around, uh, you know, money via Ethereum, it's Ether. The Ethereum is the blockchain network that it's built on. Um, so let's talk about NFTs. And I'm getting into this one so early. There's other crypto terminology I want to talk to you about, but but let's get to, into NFTs now because, man, have they blown up. I mean, it is incredible. It is, it is incredible. I mean, well, we'll get into meme coins too, but you know, meme coins had such a short shelf life in the mainstream at least. Because NFTs just seem to just skyrocket and push those meme coins out of the way. And I guess the media could only deal with one viral uh, crypto-related thing at once, right? So NFTs have stolen the spotlight. All you hear about is NFTs. Everyone wants – well, not everyone, but people who would like to make quick money are all getting into NFTs. Companies are trying to think of how to sell NFTs. So, uh, David, let me ask you. What is an NFT? Nearly nothing. So Ethereum, it's a blockchain, right? You can do transactions, exchange your Ether and, you know, have fun. Um, but you can also run little programs. And those programs can implement a little currency running on top of Ethereum, like Ethereum is Windows and the token running on top is a program running on windows it's very similar ethereum is a platform the tokens are a little program running on top of that and every time you add two and two you have to pay some money um so what uh so in the um early days we had ico tokens initial coin offerings where people would make their own magical internet money was just the token running on top of ethereum and basically it was unregistered penny stock scams and the SEC came down on these and is still coming down on them like a great big Monty Python foot. So NFTs were a bit cleverer. NFT means non-fungible token, which means you care which one you've got. Like if you've got a pile of Ether or a pile of Bitcoins, you don't care. You usually don't care which particular Bitcoins or Ether you have. Anymore, you care about the serial number on your $10 note. You know, right. Um, you just care it's $10. You just care you get a pile of Bitcoins or Ether. With NFTs, you care which one you have because it's a cryptographic token which runs in a program running on top of Ethereum or on top of another blockchain, and it represents something else, like a really badly drawn picture of an ape, for example. You've got to remember, it's not the picture. You didn't buy the picture. You bought the receipt for the picture, and all you have is the receipt. Um, when these things were first being pumped in the beginning of 2021, uh, Beeple, who sold his $69 million JPEG uh, at the Christie's auction house, if you dug through the Christie's terms of sale, after a lot of fluffing around and hemming and whoring, they admitted that all you were buying was literally the token itself. Not the artwork, just the token. It represented artwork right now i'm a big fan of conceptual bullshit in art i love that stuff it's fantastic so you know 
if something represents something else, that's fine. You have all you've bought is a little souvenir of an artistic experience. You know, this is quite common in art. Um, Damien Hurst, whose entire market is he sells this sort of conceptual bollocks to rich guys and they can afford it, you know, um, and they have fun and they've got a thing no one else can have. And he sells something for millions of pounds and is a very happy man. So, and also he's done what people did. Damien Hurst has, um, one of his things is for the love of God. I think it was the jewel encrusted skull sculpture, which it was quite famous. Um, it was bought by a consortium of unknown people, and it turned out that Hearst was one of the people. So a bit of a wash trade, as they say in crypto trading, when you buy something from yourself to pump the price. Right. So it turns out Beeple's $69 million JPEG was bought by a guy called Metacoven, um, who turns out to have previously run an ICO in 2018 that mm. failed. And before that, he ran a cryptocurrency exchange that disappeared with everyone's money although he swears that he sold it before then although no one's yet found evidence that he sold the exchange before it disappeared with everyone's money right but no one has been convicted or anything so let's just believe him in good faith so um <laughs> anyway um Menikoven had been doing a deal with people to pump people's artworks and have a sort of fund of issuing tokens representing people's artwork so a fungible token representing a non-fungible token um and so basically it was a wash trade it was a promotional sale and the nine million dollars to christie's was fundamentally the cost of a press release which made it into all the papers this pumped nfts a lot right so wash trading is standard in nft land um I, I also really want to. I really want to not to cut you off. Remember that thought, but sure. I really want to. Uh, I really want to focus in here for people to understand that when you when you buy an NFT, um, you're literally just buying this receipt, like you said, a string of numbers yep. on the blockchain, like the art. The whatever media you think you're buying, I know all sorts of things are becoming NFTs: audio, video, gifts, whatever. That doesn't even exist on the blockchain. Like all those bored apes that people are buying, if like the site goes down, then you're the like whether it's the marketplaces or whatever you're showing your bored ape off on, if those sites go down, the images go down with it. The only thing on the blockchain is that string of characters, your receipt. Yep. It's like you bought a piece of paper that has written on it bored ape number 2894. And that's all it is, right? You just bought a piece of paper. You didn't buy even a picture of an ape. Um, so, yeah, it's it, it's sort of bizarre. Um, now, you might think that's completely silly. People don't believe this until you explain it multiple times. It's literally just a token with a web address in it. Um, they'll, it they might say, oh, it's a web address on the IPFS. Here's another piece of techno hand-waving. IPFS is supposed to be a magic distributed file system. It's sort of out there in space somewhere. Um, what IPFS is, it's technically terms, it's a content addressable system where if you have a given JPEG, that generates a content address, which is a hash, and you put it at that address. And it's shared around like BitTorrent with magnet links. 
it has the same problem BitTorrent has. What happens when you look for something old and rare on BitTorrent? If no one seeded it, it's gone. Right. You'll never see it. So NFTs have that problem. There's been a huge run of these where people bought NFTs on OpenSea, which is one of the big NFT marketplaces. And after the sale had been made, OpenSea didn't bother hosting the image anymore. And it turned out no one had. Right. And I, the image was gone. And it's if you ever find another one, you can tell if it's the right one, but you've got to go find it. Right. I've also seen examples where uh, the owner of whatever the the uh, the art or whatever product uh, or media, I should say, is hosted changes the URL. So it no longer is going to the image you bought. So there's you don't even have that visual, that URL linked. The image that you think you bought the NFT to isn't even located at the URL of the NFT you bought. Whew, as confusing yes. as that sounds. The receipt just has a pointer on it, and they can change what's at the other end of the pointer. Right. So you also, you can have any number of NFTs pointing to one artwork. Also, you have no guarantees the artist had anything to do with it. NFT minters steal people's artwork all the time. They sell their pieces of paper using someone else's artwork. There were a lot of cases early on where people bought NFTs in good faith, thinking they were buying something that the artist had issued. And, you know, they count as art. You know, you buy a souvenir from your favorite artist. You know, that, that's fine. But no, um, they were just scammers. And OpenSea would say, oh, nothing to do with us. We are just like eBay. We are just an intermediary. No. Um, so there's been a lot of controversy over this. Um, but also, we have to keep in mind, this is important, the NFT market. It is corrupt. It is made of corruption. It is made of scammers. It is made of guys trading NFTs amongst themselves so that you see the price number go up. And they're just waiting for a sucker to buy it with actual outside incoming money. And then it never moves again. There was a Bloomberg headline which called it a, quote, stimulus-led fad, unquote. That's the favorite phrase I've ever heard for NFTs. Um, yeah, it's just a lot of wash trading. There's a lot of money laundering. If you have, a, I think a lot of the early NFT market was funded by dirty money, where people had ether from dubious criminal activities, and they desperately wanted to turn it into clean money. You can take quite a loss on dirty money to turn it into clean money, which you can use. So what do you do? You make an artwork. Um, yourself in a funny hat with a moustache buys the NFT. Then yourself with a different hat buys the NFT. Then you buy the NFT. Look at that. And then you sell it to one of your other hats. And it's then you've suddenly got some clean ether that has gone through multiple buyers who were just buying art in good faith. Right. Right. So there have been no convictions on this, so I can't name anyone. But if you look at some of the transaction histories it's on obvious. the NFT sites, you'll go, yeah, that's bullshit. Right. And another thing Frankly, I want to also... High art and cryptocurrency are both full of money laundering. It would be flat out amazing if the union of the two wasn't. Right. Another thing really to stress here, too, is like, you know, usually if you wanted to support uh, a digital artist, you would uh, buy a physical, uh, you know, a physical print of their art or, or commission you them, commission them for 
an a piece of art that you would then usually own like the actual like if you commission an artist usually at least from my experience you own at least digital art you own the the like if you commission a piece for something you could the rights uh, vary copyright yeah. is complicated and right. neither you or i are copyright lawyers so if this is important get a written transfer of copyright as well right otherwise you probably don't and and the reason i stress that is because a lot of people who buy nfts think they own the artwork as in they can reproduce it they can use the characters in the artwork for merchandise or for uh for whatever reason they think they own the copyright to it that's not the case with nfts no it's a sort of cross between the all-encompassing ignorance of crypto people who have literally never who have never read a book on thousands of subjects and also a bit of trying it on to see what they can get away with. There's a lot of trying it on to see what they can get away with. Right, right. Now you mentioned earlier in your example about the uh, the skull with the the uh, the diamond encrusted uh, a crown, I think it was. Um, that a consortium of buyers uh, made that purchase, and and um, um, when when was this? Do you, do you recall like a year? 2007? Okay, so this is now. Before. This was a physical. This was a physical object with quite expensive right. materials going into right. it. So now um, crypto uh, advocates believe they've created a new uh, thing, uh, which just happens to be a consortium of buyers. And that's a DAO. D-A-O. Uh, can, can you explain for folks what a DAO is? Because this is one that hasn't really – there's been a few uh, projects that were funded by DAOs that went viral. But for the most part, this is, I would say, one of the newer upcoming crypto things, again, at least for the mainstream. So DAO is a buzzword that has a very squishy meaning. Originally, it meant decentralized autonomous organization or distributed autonomous organization. It was a sort of science fiction dream of a completely standalone computer program running as a corporate entity immune to human interference. So the first one, the DAO, in 2016, was one of the big first big projects on Ethereum. It actually tried to be an independent entity, the iron will of unstoppable code, unquote. Now, those of us who've ever used a computer will know one important thing. They don't work. Programs crash. Programmers make mistakes. Things go wrong. Bugs happen. Um... The other word for a program that cannot be altered by human influence is sitting duck for attackers. So having a completely unchangeable computer program is extremely stupid. Right. It's also an easy scapegoat. You see this a lot with social media uh, platforms and companies when uh, Big you know, time. when uh, something uh, racist or some sort of dangerous disinformation or something gets out there and is being promoted by their website's algorithm and you know being shown to everybody even if they don't follow that person or that page and they go well you know we're not purposely doing that it's the algorithm i mean people are behind these algorithms so yes it's uh, using computers for bias laundering right right so you know when when a program makes a mistake well that mistake came from an oversight whether intentional or accidental uh from whoever uh, was behind programming this piece of software or algorithm or program or whatever it may be. Yeah. And mistakes happen, but someone's responsible and has to fix it. Right. 
So with the Dow in 2016, what happened was they put out this program and five days before launch, someone said, look, we found a massive bug. If you release this, people are going to just drain it. And they went, oh, it'll be fine. Just everyone, it'll be fine. Just put your money in. It'll be just fine. And then it was hacked immediately and they drained it. In fact, this was such a big event in Ethereum that the unalterable Ethereum blockchain, they decided that too many people have lost too much money. So they were going to reverse the transaction. The thing you can't do, supposedly, through the immutable ledger. So the big problem is that immutability lasts precisely until the moment the big boys lose money. So, yeah. Now, the modern in implementation of DAOs, no one talked about them much for several years because the DAO was such a massive disaster. But crypto people have really have the memories of goldfish. And this is because they cycle through <laughs> like after six to 18 months. You know, they come in full of enthusiasm, post that you just need to read up on the technology, then they lose all their money and they disappear. And a fresh lot come in. So with the current bubble in crypto, um, they started up the DAO idea again. Instead of making it a completely standalone sci-fi construct of a robot system that can, is immune to humans, they made it a sort of more alterable construct for a collective enterprise of some sort. Like the other word for this is running a business with a computer. Now, it turns out businesses already use computer programs a lot, you know. Um, DAOs don't bring anything to the table. So a lot of it is excuses to do things you can already do and just say, oh, it's a DAO. That means it's crypto and it's magical. So if you don't understand why our idea sounds so stupid, it's because it's very complicated and you need to think about it more. <laughs> over and over. I mean, there are more complicated shenanigans, which I'd have to take half an hour to explain. Like the reason venture cap, there are crypto venture capitalists funding this stuff, okay? NFTs were really collapsing by April. Then what happened was a few crypto VCs came in, put buckets of money into OpenSea. OpenSea promptly became the biggest uh, NFT market. Flush with all these buckets of money, they pumped and pumped and pumped and pumped these things and got lots and lots of press. Thank goodness the general public loathes and despises right. this garbage. Right. It's quite heartwarming. People really hate this stuff. Right. They are firmly of the opinion that NFT promoters need to be shoved into a locker. <laughs> these people are terrible, and the public hates everything about these guys. But, you know, they're just like spammers. You know, they just blaring on all social media channels, hoping for that one sucker who will give them actual money. So that's what NFTs are for, and that's why NFTs suck so much. Occasionally, this results in hilarity, like Ubisoft, the game company, released a line of NFTs. They made great fanfare for this thing, and they publicized it hugely, and they had total sales of 396 euros. Amazing. Amazing. It was fantastic. So, um, I mean, that also yeah, shows 15, that, that fifteen also, sales total. It was awesome. That also shows that, like, the, how the money is not even there from the ordinary people. Like, 
the, no, the, the, the market NF- doesn't exist. It's right. fake. Right. The NFTs that blow up are basically decided by a handful. And again, this handful could be hundreds, maybe a few thousand of big moneyed, deep pocketed buyers who decide to pump something for their own uh, financial gain. Like they all decide to go. In, yeah. in fact, I, I covered uh, this. Uh, there was a, a, uh, a YouTube video that was published uh, last uh, late last year by uh by Mr Beast and Logan Paul these two uh huge YouTube influencers and they basically uh gave away the game accidentally I assume because I don't think they meant to do it where they said how one day Gary V this uh this uh this tech guy who's this huge NFT pusher called them and told them to all invest in CryptoPunks together and so them and all these other big money influencers and VC type people bought into CryptoPunks, and then they all sold, and then together invested in the next project. And they admitted to this on one of their streams. And it was just shocking, because I don't think they realized what they were doing that. You know, Gary V was basically calling all these big-moneyed people and basically herding them like sheep to put money into one project. Granted, all the people who he called, I'm sure, made out like bandits, but their fans who they likely promoted this to, who also bought in, probably lost a ton of money. Yep. But, you know, they might get rich later. Right. If they can sell their bag on to someone else. Right. So let, let's let's actually talk about the broader thing that they're pushing. Because now this is a term that I think you will not even be able, be able to define. Because, frankly, there is no definition. Web3. What the hell is Web3? I mean, literally, like, I mean, I know what they're trying to promote it as, but there is no, like, it's always changing, I feel like. It's basically anything that they want to use the blockchain or crypto or NFTs for, decentralized finance. That's another one that we'll get to in a second. Uh, these ideas that, um, uh, that you know, when the big monies gave, when the big, uh, when the big banks gave out high interest loans, that was bad. When an individual does it, and pilfers from the uh, uh, the poor, and that's good. I mean, that's what DeFi is to me. I mean, it's amazing to see. Um, it's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so what is Web3? Well, I think you just defined it. It's literally any marketing buzzwords you can say that mean that people should buy into the idea of cryptos and specifically to buy your cryptos. The marketing buzzwords are many and varied, but it literally doesn't have any meaning. Like, you see, absolute pants-on-head garbage, like a certain Twitter influencer from the VC world who said, well, it's clear that Web3 is here to stay. And then he said a few tweets down, it doesn't exist yet, but... And, you know, it's literally just press releases, dude. Like... There's some NFTs and there's some cryptos and there's people starting businesses and calling it a DAO because then they can get paid in Ether. Um, There's various shenanigans. You can look into the fine details of the shenanigans. Like one of the reasons for DAOs is venture capitalists investing so that they can sell the governance tokens to vote on what the DAO does and then market those as basically un registered offering of securities and recent Horowitz who I will name as doing this I've shouted about this before and I'm hoping one day the SEC will bust them issuing these coins uh, that they pump and control and then dumping them on retail on Coinbase 
who they're closely linked to. Um, there's a whole catalogue of stuff that Andreessen Horowitz has dumped on Coinbase to try to scam retail buyers. And again, I'm waiting for the SEC to take a few years and then descend like a Monty Python foot. Right. Here's hoping. <laughs> but um, I mean, I guess, yeah, I it, guess it's one thing. It's I, atrocious. Right. I, I guess one way to. <laughs> I'm now having that visualization, and it's it's fantastic. Um, but you know, one thing though, I guess that that can be used that I think is, is describes uh, all these Web three projects, and that's what makes it so incredible to me. Like the whole idea uh, uh, behind crypto, the ideology of it seems from like these libertarians seems to go counter with this whole um, uh, idea behind Web three, and that is your crypto wallet is your identity online, which is amazing to me. This is the same, the same people who want to do that are the same people who are saying how like, you know, this stuff is going to help the unbanked or the poor rise out of poverty. The idea that your financial situation, which would be in this world, your crypto wallet, your holdings define your online identity. It's, it's amazing. Like, to me, everything that I've seen with Web3 is connect your wallet to sign up for this. Your wallet signs up for this. It's amazing to see this. It's um, ridiculous. It's, um, all of this is a terrible idea, of course. Like, if you lose your phone, you lose life savings. What, you know, it, it is not sensible. None of it stands up to a second's thought. Um, the idea is to suck you into it and get terribly excited about it and you get in and discover it's all really weird, stupid and it's broken and it's hard to use and you lose your money and stuff breaks and you run out of gas fees and everything disappears and your transaction is lost and whoops, the thing you put your money into it got hacked and all the money's gone. Sorry, we're so sorry and you're sure it'll come soon and it's all just early days yet. It'll definitely be fixed in the next version and you know, it's it's a scam. When when did Bitcoin start again? When did Bitcoin officially launch? Two thousand nine. Ah, it's a little baby. I mean, it's not like it's uh, the early days. Yeah, I mean, it's not like uh, Facebook just started a few years earlier than that and is now uh, has billions and billions of users. But early days well, for you know, crypto, this is right? why we still see articles in the press all the time explaining what is an iPhone. Right, right. Oh, yeah, iPhone as well, 2007, right? I mean, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, because no one understands iPhones. It's early days for iPhones. We'll find a use for them one day. Right, right, one day. Uh, <laughs> no, It'll be let's, great. Let's actually jump into this because this is something that I think people need to understand. Now, because um, uh, we mentioned Ethereum and how, you know, uh, early days and versions of it. Proof of stake and proof of work. And obviously, as it relates to how how this stuff works oh and mining i know i know i know this is getting a little bit into the weeds but i think when we talk about the environmental effects that crypto has uh i think people need to understand these terms and these terms yep. really should be a little bit more mainstream even though it is getting a little bit into the weeds due to the environmental aspects of all this so i'll try to explain this as quickly as i can right this is again this is not a whole episode on this stuff although you could probably do a whole series on this <sighs> stuff it's just a shortened uh so people understand the summary the, the cliff notes if you will so the idea of proof of work is satoshi couldn't work out how to distribute bitcoins he wanted to just give them away to people but if you just give away the coins to whoever asks how do you know it's a thousand guys asking you for coins or it's just one guy with a thousand sock puppets you don't. 
So he had to come up with some way to solve that. That's called the Sybil problem, where you don't know if it's lots of people or just one guy with sock puppets. So what he did was he came up with this thing where proof of work, where work here means waste. What you do is you commit a resource wasting electricity and your chances of winning the coins are in proportion to how much power you waste, like literally waste. There's theoretical work that says that if the output was useful for anything, it wouldn't work as well. So literally wasting electricity to win a lottery to win the Bitcoins. That's what proof of work is. Now, they figured out early that it couldn't scale. Um, Hal Finney, who was like the second tester of Bitcoin, said, if Bitcoin gets popular, we have to watch out about the CO2 production, you know. That was in January 2009, a few weeks after it launched. Bitcoiners did nothing about this. And now Bitcoin uses as much power as a whole country to um, still process the same seven transactions per second that it could process on Satoshi and Hal's PCs in 2008 when they were testing it. It's um, literally anti-efficient. Right. Bitcoiners will say dumbass bullshit like, wow, what about the other financial system, huh? the mainstream legacy system, how much power does that use? And the answer is, well, it uses a lot, but it also is about a million times as efficient per transaction. Right. And also, its incentives are to use less electricity. And also, it's useful. Right. You know. Also, um, there's it has billions of users all around the world. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, so when I talk to normal people about Bitcoin, they know it's nerd money for nerds to rip off nerds. And they think it's dumb and stupid and a scam. When they find about proof of work, they get angry. And they should. Um, Ethereum is also on proof of work. Since before Ethereum launched in 2015, in 2014, they were talking about, hmm, we should move from proof of work to proof of stake, a much better system. Proof of stake is another idea that won't use as much power it's actually a pretty dumb idea because it's crypto where whoever has the most coins that shows their commitment to the system. So therefore they should get more coins. The rich should get richer and that'll be great. That's it. So you might think that's really stupid, but that's because it is. <laughs> I was Ethereum has spent seven, eight years now trying to work out how to make this system work and be decentralized, out of control. Because, you know, Bitcoin mining actually centralized by about 2014, right? Because there's economies of scale. The bigger you are, the more efficient you are, and the better you are at getting Bitcoin. So all the incentives are to centralize because this whole thing works on rampant, uncontrolled capitalism. And capitalism is really good at being efficient with money, right? It centralizes because central systems are always more efficient. So bad idea for decentralization of course bitcoin kept going because they were making money so ethereum runs the nfts on the ethereum blockchain and each nft doesn't consume a certain amount of electricity but you can reasonably say that a given transaction uses a certain share of the power it is a reasonable thing to take the total amount of power used divide it by the total number of things it does and work out how much power each thing uses. And it comes out to about, here's a tablet, about half a tablet 
of e-waste per transaction is generated from mining hardware that's burnt out in the process of mining and then thrown away and turned into e-waste. Um, several hundred kilowatt hours of power, like many dollars worth. Um, it's ridiculously, stupendously wasteful. And that's the other reason to hate NFTs. Right. Um, a lot of people don't know about this. You still see artists who, artists don't know about stuff, you know, they know about art. Right. They still think, great news fans, I've launched an NFT. And all their fans go, oh no. And they, when you get one of these, give them one chance. Give them one chance. Say, sir, I must caution you. Please don't do this. <laughs> and then if they double down, you know, just throw rotten tomatoes at them. You know, right. I would say the majority them, of them. Don't harass they? them. Bully them. Right. Bully NFT promoters as hard as you can. No, harder. Right. I, I would say the majority of those people who like uh, artists, uh, whether it be musical artists, mm. uh, digital, whatever, they have no idea. Uh, they're just no. doing what they're like their uh, their manager or uh, label or distribution, com whatever it may be. They're telling they're doing what they're telling them to do. And yeah. so if people speak out against this, artists will see an uprising from their fans and be like, well, wait a minute. What is this shit actually that I'm promoting here? <laughs> You saw this recently. Lil Nas X, when he was like the biggest pop star in the universe, said, I'm doing an NFT. Then a week later, he wasn't. Right. Good. Someone had a word with him. It was like the whole world went, dude, you were our dude. No. Right. right. <laughs> you know, but anyone could fall for this. What happens is NFT promoters go to the artists. They go, hey, dude, you can make free money from this NFT. Um. And then the artist's reputation gets trashed and the company goes to the next sucker. The art galleries push this. Uh, Christie's, the art auction house, they push NFTs on customers who come to them and try to sell a physical object. Say, have you considered doing an NFT? You can make a lot of money. Right. And um, maybe they could. But, um, yeah, it's actively promoted by the people who make money off this stuff using you as their sucker and the sucker gets all the flack from the fans. Right. So Ali, I have two more terms. There's a, there's a, there's a, a bunch more, but so people don't you know lose their minds. I just want to get to the absolute basics here. There's two more terms I would like to go uh, run through with you. And one is, I mentioned it earlier, meme coins, basically also known as altcoins, shit coins, because basically, uh, we got to a point where uh, anyone could start their own cryptocurrency uh, and anyone could tell you to buy into a cryptocurrency. The question is, uh, what happened to your money after buying into those cryptocurrencies? And I could tell you from doing my own uh, work on these meme coins, my own investigations into these meme coins, a lot of regular people, unlike NFTs, where like it is mostly big money for the most part at this point, a lot of regular people lost a lot of money with meme coins. So this has been around since altcoins existed, right? Because it all started in 2011, which was when the Mt. Gox crypto exchange started. There was finally one place where you could exchange Bitcoins for dollars with reasonable reliability. Bitcoins had a price. Four months after that, someone did the first altcoin where they take the Bitcoin software, which was open source software, anyone can reuse it, um, change a few parameters, and you've got a new coin. So 
over the years, thousands and thousands of people made their own coins. Basically, usually the Bitcoin code with a bit of twiddling. So some people wrote completely fresh code, like Ethereum's completely fresh code, for example. But yeah, um, and they all did their own coins, and they would put buzzwords on them trying to sell them the suckers from the very first days, from 2011 onwards. Um, country coins or the Kenya coin, Coinia West, right. which um, was a trademark violation as well, presaging 2021 and 2022 quite well. Probably the most famous uh, of them all. Uh, yeah. It blew up on its own, right? Dogecoin? Yes, which was started as a joke about how dumb crypto was. Right. Then it was dormant for years. And then suddenly it was pushed again um, after the Wall Street Bets subreddit went, ha, huh, wouldn't this be funny? And then and Robin Musk Hood got had it, it on there as a tradable commodity. And Robin Hood made more money from cryptos than they did from stock trading in one, that year because they were charging zero fees on stocks, but they could charge a fee on cryptos. Right. Um, all of this meme coins is basically getting into something because it's cool and funny and you might get rich and it's a bubble. It's because of the crypto bubble, right? which is largely was pumped – but it did take off for a while, from about February to June 2021. Everything since then has been the air running out as the promoters frantically promoted as hard as they can with things like NFTs and so on, desperately trying to get actual dollars into the system. I think there's signs that the air is running out in crypto that because the one thing that you can't do is pay your electric bills with Ether or Bitcoins or fake dollar stable coins or whatever you need actual money um cash dollars i think the dollars are running out a bit there's signs of this um so cross fingers that it slows down sometime soon i'm amazed it went this long right i'm i'm shocked but, by how many of these meme coins were just outright i mean like we said this is all a scam but how many of these were upfront about being a scam like the amount of these coins that were straight up pump and dumps and rug pulls uh which means that basically the people who created the coin were intending on selling it all off at what it as soon as it you know it pumped in price so they could make yep. their money and leave all the people who bought in who trusted in their project the holding the bag uh meaning holding all the losses now just the uh, the sheer amount of this is incredible like you know bitcoin ethereum um even uh you know the dogecoin at this point the, the, it's been running for long enough where uh you know it's not an upfront in your face hey we're going to pilfer the money and leave but all these other meme coins, it was just like, oh, my God, how are people still falling for this time and time again? Yeah, because they think oh, I'm too smart and they'll get taken because that's what you want in the bubble. You want suckers. We saw the same thing in crypto in 2017, 2018 with ICOs. The same and the same thing in the 2013 bubble. The same thing um, because even the scams aren't new. There are no new scams and crypto is at the stage of recycling old crypto scams because there's a very short cycle of people in crypto, six to 18 months as far as I can tell. Um, they just go away and then they um, are replaced by fresh suckers after they've lost all the money. You only ever hear from the winners, the losers go away quietly thinking, I just wasn't good enough. Right, right. And, they blame and, themselves and, and this brings it's a scam. Right. And, and this brings me to the final uh, word uh, uh, phrase uh, I want to get to. Um, 
you know, uh, whenever you bring up all these critiques that we've discussed about crypto, people always, uh, the advocates, I should say, of cryptocurrency bring up stable coins. And, you know, they say how, you know, the future is actually in stable coins. You know, they don't fluctuate wildly in price, which is a common critique of why Bitcoin will never ascend to uh, a, a actual currency. Like it's, you know, it's the hard line Bitcoiners believe. Um, it's a, another way that people use to knock down the critiques about like the high gas fees, uh, with Ethereum, which are these incredibly high transaction fees. I just realized we didn't even get the gas fees. Another day, I guess. Um, so what is uh, stablecoin? So the idea of a stablecoin is pretty simple. You have a crypto token running on a blockchain, like in the manner of an NFT or an ICO token or whatever. They're fungible. You don't care which stablecoin you have, only how much you have. The idea is that the coin represents usually a dollar. One dollar, one coin, or maybe one cent, one coin, whatever. Um, and this is backed by, supposedly, a dollar held in an account by the issuer of the stable coin. So there's a number of issues here. Firstly, that's a, issuing money in that way is something that banks are supposed to be restricted to. None of these people are banks, although lately some banks are trying to get into this. Uh, two. How do you know the backing is solid? Do they have audits? And to, and to point out to people, they tend the, not to. The, the reason it's important that it's only for banks isn't because you know we love the big banks and we're all about J.P. Morgan and uh, we root for you know uh, the you know uh, all the big banks or something. The reason is there are legal protections and regulations. Yep. On these banks. Banks are regulated to hell and back because, you know, people get very tetchy about money. Right. I just want people to really understand that, you know, that's why this is important. Not to keep, you know, this power for the elites. It's because, no, if you are seen as a bank, there are uh, legal protections. There's protections for customers of the banks. And there are regulations on the banks that aren't on these companies that are issuing stable coins. Just wanted to yeah, really you discover point companies yeah. that are worse than banks. But also, anyone who knows the history of money, particularly the history in the US, will have heard about the wildcat banking era of the 1900s, where you'd have all these little banks starting up. They'd issue note, banknotes based, backed by gold or silver. And, or at least so they said they were backed by gold and silver. There's all sorts of stories. And I found a really great report, which I put on my blog from the Michigan State Bankers Commission. We would expect to be a boring bureaucratic report to the legislature from some public servants. It was a thundering Victorian rant about the criminals they had to deal with. And it was really ranty. Tales of barrels of nails and glass with a bit of gold and silver on top and saying, yeah, we're backed by gold. Barrels of gold flying through the trees from one bank to go to the next bank. Before, ahead of the auditors, stuff like that. So there's a reason we don't do that anymore. And that was when they established national banks, Federal Reserve, the Office of the Controller of the Currency. All that regulation is because we tried the other way and it was disastrous bollocks. So anyway, stablecoins say they're doing a useful thing. And you can see the point, but it turns out that actually that's a really dumb and bad idea. And then you get stable coins like Tether is famous. If you trade cryptos, 
read up on Tether because if you're a serious investor and anyone tries to tell you that cryptos are a good idea for, you know, for all the big money men who are watching this show, um, all of them, um, talk to them, someone about Tether because your, your eyebrows will be in orbit. Um, <laughs> Tether is supposedly backing every Tether with a dollar, except now they're backing tethers with loans, except loans were actually from one tether company to another tether company, which is like putting money from your left pocket to your right pocket. And then you say that that is um, that movement is an asset that you're backing it with um, or backed with cryptos or whatever they could find. Tether got busted repeatedly. They were busted by the state of New York. They were kicked out of New York altogether and by the Commodities Future Trading Commission both of those last year. Um, you just go through the bollocks that Tether pulled. At one stage, they're backing, they're issuing Tethers in anticipation of backing coming in. So they'd print the Tethers, then get them backing, which was usually Bitcoins, which they could have bought with the Tethers, which is the equivalent <laughs> of printing money out of thin air. Right. Um, also, they're not based in the US. They're based, uh, their jurisdiction is some tax haven somewhere, and none of these guys ever set foot in the US. Mm. And um, yeah, it, it's it's an amazing tale, and they've printed eighty billion tethers, supposedly backed by dollars, out of somewhere, and this is what pumps the Bitcoin market. How high could you drive the price of Bitcoin if you had eighty billion fake dollars to do it? Right, with? you'd drive it quite high. So the bubble was stimulated, and is frequently pumped by tethers. Usually it's so someone can win in the crypto trading markets. This gets a bit technical for this podcast, but if you want to get seriously into Bitcoin, read up on tethers. They're a serious problem. As I will caution everyone, you can totally make money in crypto, right? Obviously you can. Lots of people do. You are vastly more likely to be the sucker that loses their shirt. So if you are that good, you can get rich from this. You probably won't. Right. I think that's a fair caution. Treat it as gambling. You know, buy $10 of Ether, watch it go up and down. You learn things you'd never learn any other way. Um, I don't touch the stuff myself. Right. It's also important to understand where this money is coming from. Like, it's not like uh, you're buying a product or service from a company and that's how, you know, someone is making money. They're creating something a value that people use, uh, whether, you know, whatever it may be, a restaurant or uh, hmm. uh, even even a streaming service or if you want to talk about digital products, like selling a, an item online that they created, whether it be art or a, a book or whatever. Uh, your money, when you make money from crypto, your money is basically, your, your winnings, I should say, are yeah. coming from the pocket of the losers, like exactly. This it's money... a zero-sum trading environment. There is no crypto economy, right? It's not a pile of capital that you can invest in an enterprise that then makes money as a business. It's just a pile of stuff you can buy, sell, or hold. Right. Um, no dollars go in, come out of it that someone didn't put into it, which is why stuff like NFTs, they're so desperate to get the most precious thing in crypto, which is fresh outside dollars from suckers. Right, right. And All of crypto is not a bunch of competing companies. All these guys know each other. It's basically like there's a bunch of retail suckers on one side 
there's a vast complicated machine with lots of wearing bits and very, very technically complicated in the middle. And at the other side, there's about 20 guys. And the idea is to filter the actual rare dollars from those guys to those guys. Right. And you might make money from that along the way. But yeah. Um, so it's not a Ponzi. It just works like one. Right. New investors, old investors can only be paid with money from new investors. It's technically not a Ponzi. And when you're at the stage of saying technically, you've already conceded the point. Really. Right. And that's why this show is called uh, The Scam Economy. Uh, David Gerard, author of The 50-Foot Blockchain and Libra Shrugged. Uh, David is a crypto journalist and honestly, uh, my go-to for so many happenings in the crypto world. Uh, we will be going into Tether, like you said. It's not for this episode of the show. You could literally do a whole series on, on Tether itself. Um, Everything about this is amazing. I've been doing this for five years. All I do is, all I do is say, you know, actually, two and two makes four. And crypto guys go, you have no imagination. It makes five. And if I work really hard, it can make six, six, six. And no, I, it's four. Right. And then it turns out to be four. Then some fresh crypto guys come along. Right. David, where can people find you online? I want to give you a chance to promote whatever you'd like to promote. Okay. Um, you can find my website, davidgerard.co.uk. I've got a blog there which talks about crypto, uh, Attack of the 50-Foot Blockchain. Um, my Twitter is at David Gerard, and if you search David Gerard Bitcoin, you'll find me. All right, David. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you. And there you have it. Almost everything you need to know to understand the scam economy. Folks, I hope you enjoyed this first episode, and we're just getting started here. So please, if you like what you heard, go to scameconomy.com, and right there will be all the links you need to know to follow and subscribe to this show. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel at youtube.com slash mattbinder. Follow me on Twitter, at mattbinder. And to support the future growth of this program, go to patreon.com slash mattbinder. I have some rare limited edition scam economy NFTs up for sale right now. I'm kidding. See you next time on the scam economy. Yeah.